If you get a custom tailored suit, it's going to fit perfectly and make you look great. Think about that with a Noble First for your organization. No matter what the size of your company is, a Noble First will analyze your data and collaborate with you to custom tailor digital solutions so you can focus on making your organization grow. When it comes to data-centric solutions specifically for your organization, choose a Noble First. A Noble First makes living simple. See for yourself at anoblefirst.com, E-N-N-O-B-L-E first.com. Love Talk Radio. Hi, everybody. Before we get on to this fantastic interview with Ryan Atkins, I want to be sure and remind you the best way to gain access to all of our latest episodes is by visiting us direct at www.naturalrunningnetwork.com. Why, you ask? Well, I'll tell you, because I've been posting some really amazing training tips in long form. Think ebook. Think about something that is pretty meaty, something that's going to give you a lot of great information, and you're not going to be able to find it anywhere else. All you'll need to do is subscribe to the show. You can get access to it by visiting the homepage. Simply log in from a desktop or iPad. I don't believe you'll see it via a phone. Go to the homepage and put your email into the inbox. I'll take care of the rest. Incidentally, I will protect your privacy with my life. No third party will ever get access to your information from me. You can depend on that. So let's get on with this show. Hey, everybody. Got an amazing show for you today. Going to do an interview with Ryan Atkins, the leading obstacle racing pro on the circuit today. Hope you enjoy it. Remember, if you are finding us via Blog Talk Radio or you're looking to connect with us directly, go to www.naturalrunningnetwork.com. You're going to find a very robust site there where you can get all the episodes and scads of all kinds of tidbits that you wouldn't normally get off of our show. Hope to see you there. Let's do the show. The Natural Running Network. We are brought to you by Mio, makers of the world's first strapless heart rate monitor sports watches, and MedHab, makers of RPM Squared, an innovative system of gait analysis that slips right into your running shoes. My name is Richard Diaz. I am your host. Are you a runner? Do you love to get out and challenge yourself? running your first marathon, or maybe caught the bug of obstacle racing? Well, sit tight, because this is a show you just don't want to miss. All right, so I'm with Ryan Atkins. Ryan Atkins is currently, I would have to uh, give him the moniker as world champion of the Toughest Mudder, two times running, 2013 and 14, and in lieu of another event, he still holds the title has been killing races through Battle Frog and what have you, whatever gets in his way. So I thought I'd give him a shout. Here he is with us right now. Say hello, Ryan. Hey, guys. How's it going? So, Ryan, you're living in Canada, right? I see that you're in Ontario. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. I live about uh, an hour outside of Toronto. 
What's the weather like up there right now? Today's actually beautiful, but um, it's just kind of all the snow is just finally starting to melt. So all the trails are uh, almost snow free, and I'm just I'm just loving that now. I love the seasons that we get, and I get really excited when every season changes. So uh, I love that about living in Canada. You know, what I find interesting about what you do versus most of the other guys I know that are racing in obstacles is that because you're living in, uh, let's call it inclement weather, um, and not just, you know, passing fancy kind of inclement weather, you're living in the you're living in the stuff, man. It gets cold up there, right? A lot of snow? <laughs> oh, yeah. And so you shift gears, and you spend a lot of time on skis, and I want to believe that that's been an asset for you. Yeah, I think so. Um I really love cross-country skiing. I started doing that maybe five or six years ago, and uh, snowshoeing, and uh, I started fat biking this winter, so like biking on snow and all sorts of stuff. So, And I, I run in the snow too, which is a, a totally different challenge from running in, in nice weather. Yeah, I would say that that's a challenge. You know, I, I'll share with you that I was raised in Michigan, and, you know, oh, nice. m- much like the type of weather you face, uh you know, I, I came up where going to school in the morning when you were a kid, you know, there was no, you know, mommy drops you off in front of the, the school. You had to you had to make your way, you know, and it wasn't far. It was only like three miles away. But when you're like 10 years old and the weather is just yeah. eating you, <laughs> um, you know, I remember many days coming home, my fingers frozen and my nose frozen and just, you know, my parents were oblivious to that. This is like, you know, whatever, go to school, kid, you know. So yeah, yeah. I think to some degree that probably toughens you up. Yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> but I, but I, I can tell you that when I became an adult and by the age of 27 or so years old, I just said enough. I moved <laughs> to Hawaii. I moved. I moved. <laughs> I did. I, I I literally sold everything I owned and moved to the island of Maui without without any never having been there before. I mean, literally awesome. got rid of everything I had and said. I'm going to find me some place that would be better to live in, and and I ended up. Uh, and as a matter of fact, I, I credit being in Hawaii uh, is what brought me to the endurance sports back in the day. So, anyway, for whatever oh, it's cool. worth, uh, it's not about me. But so this has been a pretty good year for you so far, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, this is kind of the first year that I've I've been obstacle racing, kind of um, putting the focus on that. Um, I guess it started with uh, Spartan Worlds in the fall, which I like trained for, and I wanted to do well at that. And I came second there, and so um, like that kind of acted as a stepping stone into racing a lot, lot more OCRs this year. And yeah, it's been going really well. So you've thrown down and won quite a few Battle Frog events already this year, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, I've won the the first four events, so it's going well. And you're the point leader with them. Now, um, so this is kind of getting complicated, and I I think you know what I'm talking about. It's like all these different brands that are putting on these events right now, and everybody's kind of following their own own path, and uh, it's interesting, and I think that it's all going to eventually gel. But I find I find it interesting. I, I mean, the rules for Battle Frog relative to what they are for Spartan and what have you, it's pretty interesting. But what I just noticed, I, I learned as I was doing a little background on you before I called you, is that Battle Frog is putting up a million dollars in cash purse this year. Yeah, yeah, they're doing uh, they're doing tons of tons of prizing, so it's pretty 
pretty awesome. So they've got their, they're giving out pretty much more money than anyone at all their normal events. And then they've got the, the series points, which is monetized. And then they, they're going to have a championship sometime at the end of the year as well. And I don't think the details for that have been announced yet, but that'll be cool as well. So overall, I think it all adds up to a million dollars. All right. Well, so looking at this from that perspective, is that uh, as a point leader right now, that's probably got to be on your radar, and and you'd probably, you know, I don't know if you know how much money is going to be doled out to the point leader, uh, or whether that's going to be settled over a world championship event. But um, I think that's good stuff. Yeah, it's it's good for me right now. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> So, so the thing about this, you know, I'm looking at it from a global perspective. I'm looking at all these different events and the organizers of these events. And it's interesting to me that the Battle Frog organization identifies that in order for them to really get a leg up, so to speak, on the sport, it's going to be about tossing money out there and getting the athletes wanting to compete in their events. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think Well, they want to kind of do well in a number of different um, facets of the event. They want to kind of have a really high level of elite competition, but then they also want to cater to the general population. And I know they put a lot of focus on their uh, on their family kind of events and their kids' events, which are uh, are doing quite well. They've got like a tadpole run and a bullfrog run, which are uh, a lot of fun. And I usually help out at those too. So. I think they're trying to kind of get the whole spectrum going, and uh, and I'm excited that they're they're wanting to step up the game in terms of elite competition because I don't know I love competing against people and having someone to race against. Sure. So who are the guys that run this uh, Battle Frog? Um, it's a group of uh, a great group of guys. They're kind of from all over. A lot of them are from um, working in at other obstacle course races who have kind of come over to battle frog from uh other organizations and then there's a large group of them are all um navy seals or ex-navy seals who uh who do a lot of the the build crew and who do a lot of the um who run the company and then um yeah it's just a bunch of bunch of great guys okay so would you, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm going to do it anyway. So comparatively speaking, when you look at like Battle Frog, Atlas Race, you look at um, Tough Mudder, you look at Spartan, who do you think is becoming, when I say who do you think, I'm referring to the organization, which of these organizers do you feel is getting the lion's share of the business, so to speak? I think Tough Mudder is still kind of the leader in terms of um, the business perspective. Um, they appeal a lot more to the masses, and they just get huge numbers, and they sink a lot of resources into building like these huge, awesome obstacles, Which uh, and they've kind of built up a reputation, like a household reputation, which is um, known outside of the Spartan community and is, is kind of known almost almost by everyone in the general population. Like, if you talk to, if you go up to anybody and ask them, you know, what a Tough Mudder is, they'll know. Whereas if you ask them what a Spartan or a Warrior Dash or what a Battle Frog is, most people won't really understand, and then they'll ask you, oh, is that like a Tough Mudder? Yeah. Well, I I think think that's probably, they're probably because they're first, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, probably because they're first and they've kind of um, almost in a sense gone viral and it's just it has caught on so big for them. Right. Well, you know, in marketing, it doesn't make a difference who's best. What matters is who's yeah. first. And that's yeah, that's, totally. To to some degree, that's unfortunate, but. You know, I study business because I'm trying to stay afloat. <laughs> and what I know as an entrepreneur is that it really is critical that you 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 come up with a category that you can control, and the way to control it is get in the mind of the consumer. And, and interestingly enough, uh, I'll give you a great analogies, is that when you think of uh, cellophane tape, what you think is scotch tape, not because... Scotch tape is not what the product is. It's the name of a brand mm-hmm. of a product. But yeah. because they were the first to come out with a cellophane tape, they own that category. Same thing with Xerox and, and such. Or, or you know? Kleenex. So, or, yeah. yeah, there you go. So <laughs> I, I could totally see where where that would be the case. Now, I interviewed yeah. Joe DeSena a while back. Needless to say, interesting guy, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, he talked about his aspiration for bringing obstacle racing to the Olympics. And does the Battle Frog folk or do you think the Tough Mudder guys ha- have any interest in, you know, being a part of that process? Um, I don't think, to be honest, I don't think Tough Mudder does because they don't really cater to the elite athlete anymore. They kind of cater to the weekend warrior, the person um, who works a 9-5 and who wants it to take on a challenge on the weekend but i think that if the chance was given to Battlefrog to be a part of bringing obstacle course racing to an olympic uh stage that they would probably <clears throat> they'd probably be game with helping out in that and kind of helping in any way to see it go to the next level okay so now you're sponsored by Battlefrog, right yeah all right cool who who else are you sponsored by if you don't mind my asking um, I just recently got sponsored by Icebug, so I'm wearing oh. their shoes and cool. testing them out and stuff. And uh, Beat Elite helps. They give me the Beat stuff, which beat I like stuff. to use. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so, speaking of the Icebugs, how do you like those shoes? I like them quite a bit. I'm, I've only been wearing them for about a week, and I'm kind of like figuring out which models and which sizing works for me. But um, I think their quality of construction is... Uh, really good but and I'd like I'm excited to kind of work with them and uh, maybe develop kind of like what in my mind is the ultimate OCR shoe well I think at the moment given that it you know the term ice bug the shoe is primarily a shoe that would be worn in icy weather right yeah yeah they have a uh, large number of shoes that are like carbide tipped or the focus is on having really good grip which works for me because uh, slippery obstacle courses are also a lot of my training is done in ice or icy roads. Or yeah, I was going to say who would be trails. Who would be better? <laughs> yeah, who would be better as yeah, a sponsor exactly. than you, right? Yeah, I could almost imagine they thought, you know, we need to sponsor now. I know. Let's call Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's get someone who's covered and surrounded by ice. So clearly, you're you've made your bones in the long distance events. Um, but at the same token, you know, you're throwing down and doing pretty well and even in the sprint events. Um, if you had to pick a race that would be your staple race to to earn your keep, what distance would it be? I I think doing something like a Vermont Ultra Beast um, 
would be like my staple. I love lots of hills and I love the like more ultra distance long long stuff and I love super technical terrain and um, I think that in any other distance like someone else could come along and you know kick my ass but I think in the ultra beast like Vermont ultra beast kind of style race lots of elevation and lots of hard obstacles that um, I'd say a pretty good chance at beating anyone at that kind of course. So then I would imagine that you're you're probably looking pretty close and hard at the uh the Spartan World Championships going to be in Lake Tahoe. Yeah, totally. I'm pretty excited for that race. I'll be there. Yeah, I would imagine that's probably right up your alley, right? Yeah, yeah, if only if, if only it was twice as long though. <laughs> I'd like that even more. Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know where you get the the juice for the those long events. I mean, I just sat there and watched. I mean, I almost got too tired watching the video of the toughest mother just a little while ago. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, I can. I see these people that when they when the gun went off or whatever, and, and within the first ten minutes they're huffing and puffing, and and it just gets uglier and uglier through the day and into the evening. So, I don't know, man. It's just a it's a whole another breed, whole another breed. Yeah, that was a rough. That's a rough go that race, but I yeah. like it. Yeah. Well. And so uh, what I found today, too, that I thought was really pretty appealing, actually, for me, is that you guys got involved in this Apex project. You know, you guys kind of shouldered up, you and uh, Jun Young Park and uh, Bracken, and yeah. you're doing this, this training thing. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so we're all going to go down to, it's a, it's a gym out of Wisconsin that I guess uh, Bracken and his brother train out of, and... Um, we're going to go down there in August and hold a kind of like a weekend long intensive uh, OCR training camp. So um, people are going to sign up, show up, and we're going to um, take them through training sessions, but also just kind of talk about everyone's going to, you know, hold sessions on what we've learned and talk about our knowledge and how it applies to racing and how it can benefit people. So I think it'll be super beneficial for anybody who shows up. Well, I think and, uh, so too. Yeah, it comes out. Yeah, I should tell you. You probably already know this, but I'm gonna, uh, you know, for the sake of the audience in, in our conversation here, uh, my attraction to this sport came about, you know, f- as a voyeur. I mean, I, I've never done one of these events. You know, my my bones back in the day come from doing triathlon and, and running and what have you. But now uh, I'm on the other end of it, giving that I'm a coach, and then I. You know, my forte of late has been running mechanics, as you know, you and I mm-hmm. discussed. Um, but I see that given that these races are predominantly running events, that running mechanics and running skill is is a, it's a, a paramount concern for you guys, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> it's amazing how many people just train the strength and train the grip and train the obstacles and you know hang from things all the time and who completely neglect their running um it's like you obviously need to work on your strength but at the end of the day it's 80 85 percent running so you better you better be a good runner if you want to make it around that course as fast as you can well and again that's what brought me to it and you know it's interesting and i'm not going to drop names but i've got a few guys i'm working with that are uh, elite athletes in the sport that when I ask them, well, how many how many miles are you getting in a week? I'm lucky if I see double digits. You know, I mean, <laughs> we're, we're we're talking, yeah, yeah, maybe nine to sixteen miles a week. 
you know, they're signing up for this stuff, and they're, you know, they they made their bones in a CrossFit environment and uh, doing a lot of high intensity strength work, and you know, they're getting, you know, they're getting into these endurance events. Obviously enough, they're going to get crushed, um, or they're yeah. suf- they're suffering, and and also <laughs> potentially running into a lot of injuries that we could have gotten past mm-hmm. had, they, had they put a little bit more effort into their to their running skills. Yeah, totally. So, yeah, I'm, I've I've come from the different mindset of kind of building up. It's, it's always been building base and building base and just doing tons of threshold and tempo work like all the time. And that's how I've been training for like 10 years, you know. So any, <laughs> I only really do intensities like when I'm getting ready for a peak event. But other than that, it's, it's kind of like all focusing on the basics and staying healthy and, um, yeah, focusing on quality, volume, and stuff like that. Well, unfortunately, we weren't able to get a VO2 on you. I, I had hoped we yeah. could. <laughs> but the, the climate just wasn't in, wasn't uh, inviting for it, that opportunity. No, it wasn't conducive. <laughs> yeah. it, you know, it's funny because um, I really can't bag on you for not doing that test because on that ship, and for those that know what I'm talking about, pretty much everybody that was uh, racing the day before was in the bag that evening. And yeah, so I think the only the only one that really showed up to be tested was those that don't drink, and only one that was brave enough to give it a shot anyway, which was Orla. And <laughs> and and, and, and it, I, I've been teasing her ever since about that, but uh, because I said I'm still trying to get the vodka out of my my metabolic cart, you know, since, <laughs> since she was blowing into it. But anyway, so. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the running. And I just I, I listened to a podcast you did just before we did this interview. And uh, in the course of this conversation you were having, you you suggested that you're running around sixty miles a week, which I would mm-hmm. I would guess, and I can't speak for everyone, but I would guess relative to most of the guys you're competing against, that's about double the miles that most of these guys are doing, at best, right? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I, I, I've been kind of playing with uh, volume a lot, but um, I think that like six, yeah, around sixty miles or hundred k a week is uh, kind of a pretty sweet spot for me because it allows me to still race on the weekends and it allows me to get some some um, some intensity during the week and it also allows me to still do my strength. I think if I increase the the volume of running much more, I'd start to run into injuries or. Uh, be unable to complete like strength workouts and stuff, but um, yeah, so that seems to be working pretty well for me. Well, but I, most of my running also is on trails, so that's it's it makes for harder miles, but it also makes for kind of uh, gentler on the joints. I'd say I run at about seventy percent of my uh, volume on on trails. So my feeling about trail running versus running on the road. Obviously, enough in this sport, you have to run trails because that's the environment you're going to be competing on. And you, you know, the, yeah. more, the more technical the, the, the trail running you, you, you take on, uh, the more appropriate it is because then you're, you're pretty much ready for almost any kind of a challenge you're facing from a terrain perspective. But I like to believe that there's this, this thing that um, I like to call that flat response, where if you, if you remove everything from the equation other than the way you're moving. So in other words, a totally flat road, a a track would be a a prime example, where your focus is really 
laying down very precision-oriented running mechanics. So somewhere along the way, who you are is a good, solid, technically sound runner. And then take that into the environments that you're going to be competing in is what I think is very appropriate. And I don't think anybody, and I can't speak for you because I don't know whether you're, you're doing this or not, but I don't think anybody I've spoke to or worked with or, or watched compete has shown me that yet. And where it really starts to manifest into issues is that when they're uh, approaching obstacles and I see them overstriding, heel striking, and all these uh, flaws in their running mechanics, um, at, at the intensity that they're approaching these events, over time will just start to take you out. What what are your thoughts about uh, running mechanics, and what kind of investments do you make in your in your running skills? Um, to to just touch on what you're saying about running in like a very flat controlled environment, like I think it makes total sense, and I, I definitely do do some like flat road running. Um, it's just very hard where I am <laughs> because it's so it's so hilly and there's so many trails. But like I yeah I totally agree with you and. I do do sometimes I do uh do like one kilometer repeats on flat terrain and just try to focus on you know um getting that really efficient gait at the speed that I'm gonna be running in a race and kind of honing in on that but as far as as far as running mechanics goes um i I haven't really invested much um much time in working with a professional to uh, optimize my running mechanics which is something I probably should do at this point however um, I have I have done the whole barefoot running and I ran for like a year barefoot and using five fingers and kind of developing that that midfoot strike and trying to trying to just really um, focus on you know being even in my foot strike and um, not having anything collapse and trying to really just get a feel for what my running feels like and looks like and um, I'm from a mechanical engineering background so um, I like to think that that kind of helps because I kind of see the all the joints and all the all the musculature as kind of like a, a machine and then as soon as you have any kind of uh, misalignment or any you know anything going too far outside of a acceptable envelope of motion that's when you're gonna start having injuries as you increase the distance or intensity so it's something i'm very conscious of but um i could definitely uh do some like motion analysis i'm sure there's i'm sure there's tons of things that i'm not quite doing right but um i've managed to stay relatively injury free over all the running that i've been doing over the last several years so that's that's a, a plus, I guess. Well, I'd absolutely agree with you that uh, the fact that you 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 delved into, um, you know, uh, and I, I should tell you that I'm not a barefoot advocate, but I, I absolutely see where the benefit would come from spending some time barefoot, and even in the the Vibrams, which I I absolutely don't love. But <laughs> what what I what I do agree with is that it does teach you to find your midfoot. Um, and yeah, ha- having done that, 
and developing the strength in your feet is critical. I see a lot of guys that are confused, and rightly so, because the industry at large where running shoes are, are <laughs> sold, confuse people because uh, they're... Yeah. Their drive is not so much in improving the way you move as much as it is uh, coming up with something that is trendy enough to cause you to want to buy their shoe. I actually am a consultant for a running shoe company right now, and the design is, in fact, towards um, developing proper running mechanics, which is unique, I think. Uh, and I, I won't go into great detail about it right now, but it's going to be released this summer. But, uh, yeah, anyway, for whatever it's worth, I ask that question because I see a lot of guys that are making some mistakes, and and my my concern is that due to the intensity of the work, it's going to catch up with them soon enough because the sport's pretty new. I mean, when you really think about it, this whole obstacle racing thing is is right out of the box. It's not it's not something yeah. that are, you know we're not talking about running that's been you know age old, and you know we've had history with it and we we've gone through the bumps and grinds and know kind of what the the pitfalls are of volume and circumstance. Where I've had guys come to me lately that are intense obstacle racers and you you know what I'm talking about. These guys have all the ambition and the enthusiasm in the world. And, you know, they think that whatever doesn't kill them will make them stronger. And to some degree, yeah. that, to some degree that's true, but it's going to catch up with them. So, I'm, I, obviously, that's that's been my target. I see that, you know, I, I can have a big impact in that type of thing, which was you know, bringing me back to this Apex project. I thought that would be interesting to yeah. have someone come and talk about running mechanics and how to improve those running <clears throat> mechanics. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <clears throat> I couldn't agree with you more in terms of people coming in with, you know the best intentions and the like massive enthusiasm about it and then just um what i've kind of realized over um endurance training for many years is that you can kind of you can train your butt off and you know go crazy for about a year before um and some people's a little less and some people's a little more but you can like train super hard for about a year and see all kinds of improvements and but after about a year you're going to start something's going to give whether it's injuries whether it's your endocrine system whether it's uh you know your blood like something's going to just fall apart eventually and then um and i think that's probably what people are starting to encounter now in OCR because they've been crushing it for a year or year and a half you know and seeing massive improvements but it, it takes so long in order to build up the physiology in order to train that, you know, 20 hours a week, 15, 20 hours a week, you know, 800 hours a year type thing. Um, that That's something you progress for over 10, 12 years. Not oh, yeah. over, not You don't just go from, okay, uh, I was kind of active and now I'm going to start running 60 miles a week and doing strength all the time and that and that's going to make me awesome like no you need to you need to progress from season to season to season and, and slowly build that up no question about is, it uh, it's a very good point yeah. and I, I think the consistency is the key uh, as, as you develop your body yeah it brings me to and, and since you brought it up understanding the metabolic consequence of work you know a lot of guys are just going out there and they're just throwing yeah. throwing crap at themselves and hoping one day it's going to stick <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 you know, I mean, I'm being a little funny, but at the end of the day, from where I come from, having tested like yeah. thousands of athletes, I see it all the time where yeah. I've got a guy that's got a pretty decent VO2 score, 
which means there's potential. VO2 scores are generally tied to heart and lung strength, which is because you've been heavily respirating. You, you're blowing all the time because the intensity of the work you do is so massive. Mm-hmm. But then from a standpoint of the way their body is processing energy, it's terrible because they never do anything that's going to be metabolically appropriate. They're not doing anything yeah. to encourage aerobic metabolism. And it all stems from understanding where that, that, that threshold lies. So, you yeah. know, I've been a strong advocate, obviously, enough of, of getting a VO2 test and having somebody at least identify what their threshold is so that they can better understand how they should approach their training. And see, and you just, in, in a nutshell, you've, you've told me exactly what we're talking about, is that you spend a lot of time focusing on just base training, not concerning yourself with the intensity of the work. And then periodically mm-hmm. you'll get off and do some more intensity to and technical aspects of of the work, which really evolves to about twenty percent of your total volume. I bet. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, not not that much, but um, it has to be present, obviously. Yeah, yeah. So as a as a uh, a mechanical engineer, understanding the kinematics of motion, been as you suggested, an asset for you, and and it really gets down to that. I talk to people all the time about physics and kinematics is like we could talk about opinion all day long but at the end of the day <laughs> gravity is going to do this to you and how much time you're yeah. under the influence of gravity and how much stressors you're taking on relative to the intensity you're throwing at the work has everything yeah. to do with whether you're going to be successful or not and then as you suggested it becomes a function of strength to weight ratio you're going to break yeah. down sooner or later and you, you've identified uh, your break point you know, your sweet spot's about 60 miles a week if you decide mm-hmm. one week to push up to 75 miles, you're probably going to run into the devil, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and and I think I think the other thing that people need to, I think the hardest thing to learn in endurance training is um, when to be able to step back and kind of self-diagnose yourself with, okay, I've I've trained too much. Okay, I'm actually tired, and not just I'm not just fatigued. I'm like I'm flirting with going over the over the overreaching and into overtraining um, camp and I need to you know back off and yeah that's something people need to be more cognizant of as well yeah and I think where you get that from is the analytics I think that if you yeah if you are con- if you are gathering information about your workouts and you, you obviously enough in this day and age we have the capacity to do that through GPS and heart rate and all these different ways to capture this information and I think people should do it every workout and then if you're looking at the data regardless of how smart you are about the information you'll start to notice trends about what is going mm-hmm. on and uh, what I like yeah to, no doubt yeah what I like to use is um, uh, a term called a trimp score you heard this before no trimp is uh, training intensity measurement okay so okay. what you do it's a real simple way to do this. If you if you to take your average heart rate over the course of your workout for a week, so let's just say mm-hmm. that if you looked at seven days' worth of training and your average heart rate was 150 beats per minute, multiply that by the time, the hours that you trained, and you're going to get a number. And then you could okay. use, use that as a base number in relative intensity for the work you've, you've conducted over the course of the week. So rather, mm-hmm. than just, rather than just looking at the volume of the work, you're also looking at the intensity, which is a great snapshot of whether yeah. you're progressively taking on more and more intensity 
and then you start to notice a correlation between the the aggressive intensity and your breakdown. You know, so you can yeah. you tend to be a little more proactive about when it's time to recover, stepping into that that recovery zone for a little while, and then uh, I tell people all the time: progression, regression, progression, regression. You don't you you can't function in a linear path northwards. Eventually, it's going to take you down. Yeah, that's very that's that trimp store score is very interesting. Um, it's a good idea. It's almost like though it might need to have like a some kind of weighted um, effect on it because obviously if you spend five hours training at you know 180 heart rate, it's going to be a lot more taxing than spending you know 10 hours training at 90. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. But I think, yeah. So, but, the, but um, it, it can get more complicated. You know, yeah, yeah. Where it gets ugly is when you start dealing with intervals, because yeah, exactly. What you're doing is you might have peak heart rates that are touching 190 beats per minute, and then you have recoveries coming down as low as 120 beats per minute, which would give you an average of uh-huh. I don't know maybe 160 beats per minute, and that that doesn't seem that intense, but the fact that you yeah. you visited 190 beats per minute even even momentarily. Uh, totally. it, it's going to skew the values, but uh, most people aren't going to get that involved and not even going to look at the intensity anyway. <laughs> so I, yeah. I, I look at it from a realism kind of perspective. Is yeah, yeah, totally. Aside from just looking at the volume, take a peek at potentially what intensity is doing. If you're cognizant of the fact that these these intervals are going to lay on you a little heavier than you think, you could be that much further ahead of the game. Yeah, totally. Cool. Anyway, so we're getting off into this whole training paradigm here, but you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we we you and I were we had a we had an appointment to to do this and we never got a chance to do it, so I figure we're almost doing it through virtual coaching here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, are you going to get out to California anytime soon? I hope so. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> you got races uh scheduled out this way? Uh yeah, I think I think later on in the summer. Ah. Well, maybe when you get out this way, we'll get a chance to hook up. All right. Spend a little time. Awesome. Pick yeah. up pick up where we left off. Yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> what's what's uh what's the most important thing on your calendar leading into 2015? Um I think well, the biggest uh event I'm focusing on would be Spartan Worlds in Lake Tahoe. Okay. So, um yeah. I'm just basically trying to stay healthy until then and uh i'm using most of the races that i've been doing and that i'll be doing over the summer as kind of um just just using them as hard training sessions kind of training through them i guess so uh working towards not really peaking until fall which is uh yeah it's kind of nice so are you holding a full-time job as well uh no right now i'm i'm going to be working uh helping build some obstacle courses and i'm I'm building obstacles for a friend of mine for his obstacle gym and stuff and doing a bit of engineering consulting, but nothing full-time. It's all kind of part-time work and, and building trails as well, which starts next week, but it's all kind of, uh, dictated by my own schedule. So I'm pretty flexible with that. So now when you say building trails, I saw that that's what your, that's kind of your thing. Who do you do this for? I mean, is it is it put on by uh, the government in, in Canada, or how does that work? Yeah, I build trails for um, for private people, for private landowners, as well as uh, government parks and um, 
trail networks and stuff. So, uh, yeah, kind of whoever wants trails. <laughs> so, I mean, whoever's got land and so yeah, do you, how do you, trail. how do you determine where to put the trail? And, and then I'm assuming you just get out with a shovel and a pick and you start making a trail. <laughs> There's a whole, uh, yeah, there's a whole kind of science behind it that's actually quite interesting. The biggest thing dealing with uh, building trails is all um, sustainability and not having the trail wash away with the first time it rains. But, um, yeah, essentially, the main concept you have is most trails you want to have traversing contours, not, like, you know, traversing the sides of slopes and working their way up hills gradually. So that the water, instead of having a trail run straight down like a steep hill, right, which would just funnel all the water to go down the trail. So there's like there's a bunch of different concepts. But then yeah, at the end of the day, after you've kind of decided where the trail should go and how's the best way it should sit, so it'll be the most fun for the user, um, then you kind of get out and start building it. <laughs> wow. Which is uh, which is the fun part. Wow, that's an interesting occupation. I never. You're the only person I know that is a trail builder. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. <laughs> I've heard of trailblazers. I never heard of a trail designer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's um. I think the most the most active uh, body is called IMBA. It's International Mountain Biking Association, and they have a whole book written on all the different facets of trail design and how to kind of build the best trails. So it's it's pretty cool. Yeah, I think it is too. Well, this is cool stuff. Now, um, you're you're actively racing, and what is it? Every couple of weeks? Yeah, either every week or every two weeks. It's uh, it's quite a bit of racing, but so far it seems good. Do you think that there's going to come a time where you're going to be able to quit your day job and just uh, you know focus 100% on racing? Um, I could do that right now, <laughs> but. Uh, I don't know. I think having having something else going on, even if it's kind of part time, is gives you a good uh, good perspective and good life balance. So, right. um, yeah, I think even if if I was offered a million dollars to race OCRs full time, I would still keep doing something else, whether it would be making money or not, just to kind of keep your keep keep the mind sharp, I guess. Well, I'll tell you what. If they offer you a million dollars to race OCR all year long. <laughs> For 10%, yeah. I'll come be your personal coach and do the best <laughs> I can to help you. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> well, look, Ryan, I, I'm glad we got a chance to catch up. You know, I don't know. We went off on a kind of tangent, no no specific directions. But I wanted to touch base with you. Uh, I want to let you know I wish you the best of luck for the season coming up. I'm going to be paying attention to what's happening with you at the World's Toughest, or excuse me, uh, at the World Championships at Lake Tahoe. I'm working with Hunter, and he's hoping to have a resurgency and come back and and throw down cool. successfully there. And um, yeah, I love you guys. I think you guys are, you know, I, I love the sport. I, I love where you guys are headed, and I think it's just cool. It's fresh. And um, I wish you the very best in what you're doing. Awesome. Thanks so much, Richard. You bet, man. So, look, thanks for doing the show with me, and you have an amazing week, bud. All right. You too. Take care. Take care. Well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network. Drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.